0: Again, this evening to the book of Jonah and in the third chapter of Jonah, we have uh, the prophets uh, being used of God uh, to bring revival to the city of Nineveh. This is one of the few examples of Holy Spirit's outpourings in the Old Testament before the day of Pentecost. Uh, we are now living in the age of the spirits uh, so we should be seeking uh, for uh, such revivals in our day and age but in the old testament they were very rare but here is one of the greatest of revivals as nineveh was a pagan city it wasn't a city in the land of israel and it was renowned uh, as we mentioned last time for its violence it had the nickname "The City of Blood." But now, under Jonah's preaching, and he only preached for we don't know how long, but it wasn't a huge uh, deal of time, uh, a few days, uh, maybe, under that, uh, the city uh, is dealt with by God. The city of blood becomes the city of God. and wouldn't it be wonderful if this city of Cardiff, not a pagan city not yet, anyway uh, a religious city in many ways. There are so many churches and other places of worship here. But don't we need a movement of the spirits in our day and age? Now, what happens? This is what we're asking, when God sends revival, what are the signs? What are the evidences of revival? Uh, Because I've said before, I've been in some meetings, uh, even the largest Christian gathering I ever attended, about 150,000, 200,000 people in a stadium in India. That was not revival. (laughs) Uh, It was sheer emotionalism, not revival. So we mustn't confuse great crowds of people, even crowds of people having a response with a genuine work of the Spirit of God. There are definite signs of the Spirits at work. And we can see them in Nineveh, and we can see them in every other work. Even though each work is unique, uh, you will always see certain signs. Now, the one word we've used to describe the effect of Nineveh, uh, of Jonah's preaching on Nineveh, is they repent it. Uh, That's what happens in revival. There is a turning. That's what the word repent means. It means a change of mind to begin with. A turning from sin to Jesus Christ. And we've looked at two signs of repentance already. Uh, If this was a Bible study, I'd ask you to name them. Uh, But you're all right. This is a sermon. So you can sit uh, comfortably. (laughs) The first is humbling. There is sorrowing for sin, not remorse. Uh, People can weep copious tears and not be humbled. There's a genuine sorrowing for sin for what it is. You hate sin for being sin. It's not being found out, but it's this horrible thing called sin. And then the second sign is that there's an actual turning that we're actually practically turning away from sin. Now, those two things are mentioned in the most famous verse in the Bible describing the fruit of revival. Second Chronicles 7, 14, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. Now, we're going to look tonight as the third sign of repentance. The third. Do you know what it is? Believing, or faith, if you like, believing. Uh, so look at chapter 3 of Jonah, verse 5. Verse 5. Chapter 3 of Jonah, verse 5. So the people of, Nin- of Nineveh believed God. And then verses 8 to 10. Verses 8 to 10. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and this is it, and cry mightily to god yes let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands who can tell if god will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish then god saw their works that they turned from their evil way and god relented faith uh, so coming back to 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and call upon my name, that's faith, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive. So let's look at this faith uh, when it comes to uh, repentance. Now, this is one of those Controversial subject, isn't it? Which comes first, repentance or faith? They're two sides of the same coin. You can't separate repentance from faith. What do I mean by that? They're Siamese twins. If you try to separate Sa- Siamese twins, they're dead. So, if you want believing, is believing repentance so when you're repenting and you're not believing that's not repentance it's believing repentance and then faith is not easy believism it's a penitent faith do you get that believing repentance otherwise it's what we call legal repentance legal doesn't mean genuine here it just means law it means beating yourself up that's not repentance no, it's believing repentance. What we call evangelical repentance. And faith isn't easy believism. It's penitent faith. There was something in the news a uh, week ago about a climber being killed on Snowdon. Did you read that? And he was killed on a famous ridge called Crib Goch, which is a knife edge. Uh, it's about that wide and you have to kind of balance on top of it and there are two drops on either side. Now, the Christian life is a bit like walking on the knife edge. You've got legalism on the one hand, this horrible tendency uh, to uh, make repentance into a work. But then on the other hand, you've got antinomianism, this horrible, horrible tendency to say that anything goes. No, no, it's a knife edge. Let's keep it like that. Uh, have you read anything by Sinclair Ferguson take his little commentary on Jonah if you want to be helped here he's a great theologian but he's a pastoral theologian he writes like this there is a tendency for Christians to assume that repentance is experienced before faith and leads to faith but this view is due to a misunderstanding It tends to confuse conviction with conversion, mourning for sin with turning away from sin, which is the hallmark of repentance. Real repentance, which brings life, accompanies faith rather than causes it. So if you're thinking of Paul preaching now, Paul said, I have preached repentance toward God and faith. Toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get that? Let me put it another way. To repent is to turn. So it's turning from sin. And you're turning from sin in faith because you're turning to Jesus Christ. You can't separate those two things. So sometimes in the Bible, you'll only have the word repent. But it actually means believe as well. And in other places in the Bible, you'll have the word believe, believe, believe. But actually, it takes for granted repentance. So these things are always found together. Now, let me just open up on this a bit. I think uh, there is a great need here. Uh, Let's look at this faith, this real faith now. Uh, Our Protestant forefathers, they defined faith in terms of three things, right? Three things. Three ingredients in saving faith. Do you know what they are? The first is knowledge. Uh, If you are to believe, you've got to believe in something. (laughs) So Jonah went to Nineveh with a message. He warned the Ninevites about the wrath of God coming upon their sin. But that wasn't just his message, was it? Indeed, the sermon that Jonah had was himself. Jesus said the sign of Jonah. Jonah... Pointing forward to the death and resurrection of the Messiah. So the people of Nineveh had a message that they could know about. Could you define the gospel in one minute? That's a challenge for us preachers, isn't it? (laughs) Could you put the gospel in one sentence? There's always a message... Uh, listen to Paul uh, writing uh, to the Romans. He said this, Romans 10: "How shall they believe in him, of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It's the message that's got to come first. And then there's something else. The second ingredient, it's not just knowledge, it's assent. What's assent? Assent is agreeing to what is being said. So the people of Nineveh, as they heard about this wonderful salvation that was available for their sin, they agreed with it. I don't know if uh, they would have been like uh, some congregations in Welsh-speaking Wales, um, We're more on the English side here. Nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong. Uh, But I was brought up in uh, Welsh-speaking evangelicalism, and people would nod their heads, or they would say, you can't say anything now, but they would say amen or something. They, They were in agreement with the message. But knowledge and assent isn't enough. James says the devils believe and tremble. The devils know and agree with the Bible, but they're not saved. The third ingredient, and this is the vital ingredient of saving faith, is trust. Trust. And what is wonderful here in Jonah 3 is they have saving faith, and the trust isn't a big assurance of faith. It's faith in its minimum that's what's so wonderful let me give you uh, some words uh, verse 8 verse 8 of jonah 3 let's everyone cry mightily to god verse 8 cry mightily to god now you may say to me i don't know if i'm genuinely saved i know the gospel i agree with it I even love these truths, but I don't know if I am trusting. I don't know if I am genuine. Well, my question to you is this. Have you cried to the Lord to save you? Romans 10 goes on to say, whoever shall cry on the name of the Lord shall be saved. As you know, one of my favourite books is this, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, this is an edition with pictures in it and it's got a picture here of mercy in the second part mercy and christiana christiana is christian's wife in the second part they both go to the gates which is like a picture of christ and uh, the doorkeeper opens the gate and he only sees christiana so he lets her in then he shuts the door And poor Mercy is left outside, and she thinks that she has been abandoned. And do you know what she does? She knocks, and there's no answer. Do you know what she does? I don't know if I'm allowed to do this. (laughs) She knocks even harder. And she knocks so hard that the porter has to open, and she swoons, she faints. That's what the picture shows as she comes in and this is what it says fear not says the porter stand upon your feet and tell me why you've come and mercy says i am come for that which i never was invited as my friend christiana was i fear i presume and do you know what the porter says I pray for all of them that believe on me by whatever means they come unto me. By whatever means, are you crying to the Lord to save you? It doesn't matter if you haven't had this or that experience. Is there a turning in your heart toward Jesus Christ? That's faith, that's trust, isn't it? Uh, Let let me give you um, another example uh, from Jonah 3. Look at the way the people speak. Verse 9, who can tell? This is not great assurance of faith, is it? But it's still saving faith. There's still trust here. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Um, Dilys Price, she founded a trust called the Touch Trust. Uh, She held the view that touch, human touch, uh, is important. Not that we can do it at the moment. Remember that woman who came to Jesus Christ, and she just touched the hem of his garments, and she was healed. She only had enough faith to touch the edge of his cloak. That's trust that's brilliant uh, William Cooper he struggled he struggled with these things uh, he wrote can can you say this our faith is feeble we confess we faintly trust thy word but wilt thou pity us the less be that far from thee Lord remember him who on supplied with trembling for relief lord i believe with tears he cried oh help mine unbelief she too who touched thee in the press and healing virtue stole was answered daughter go in peace thy faith hath made thee whole there was trust there like her with hopes and fears we come to touch thee if we may oh send us not despairing home Send none unblessed away. Faith, the third mark of repentance. Don't think of great faith, knowledge, assent, agreement, and trust. Even if our trust is just who knows if the Lord will hear us. You're still trusting. Praise God. Praise God. So I want to finish this evening by looking now, not just at the Nineveh's repentance, the Ninevites' repentance, but at God's repentance. And before I'm thrown out for saying such a thing, how can God repent because God is unchanging? Let me read God's response. Verse 10. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And in the authorised version and God repented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The new King James is a bit more accurate, and God relented from the disaster. Now, maybe you'll say to me, Pastor, doesn't this show that God can change his mind? What does that mean? Well, I'll say right at the start, I can't explain everything to do with God. God is bigger than you and I and our theological systems. We sometimes like to be able to fit God into our little boxes, don't we? But God isn't like that. And do you know what you have to do sometimes? Sometimes you have to hold two seemingly contradictory truths together, intention, Because our minds are so finite, they can't comprehend the absolute infinite nature of God. So, two truths. God is unchanging. He's the Father of lights in whom there is neither variableness nor shadow of turning. Another truth, and it's not just here but in other parts of the Bible, if you turn from your sin, God turns away from his righteous anger. <laughs> They're two friends, those truths. We don't want to pull them apart. We need to hold them. I read from 1 Samuel 15 for that reason. Did you notice in that chapter, God regretted making Saul king, right? God regretted making Saul king. Did that mean that God then changed his mind? Of course not, because how did our reading end? Our reading ended in verse 29 of 1 Samuel 15 with these words, the strength of Israel, which is God, will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. And the word here in Jonah three verse ten for God relenting is exactly the same word in the Hebrew as God not relenting in one Samuel fifteen twenty nine. How can we explain that? We can't. We, we can't. Where reason fails, says Watts, with all her powers. Their faith prevails, and love adores. I did come across this quotation. Uh, if you want a detailed commentary on Jonah, Richard Phillips has got one, and this is one explanation if you want one. It is precisely because God is unchanging that we are encouraged to repent. God is unfailing in both his wrath against sin. And his mercy towards repentance. There is no. I can't understand my handwriting. Let's try again. There is no variation in his opposition to wickedness. Thus we are called to repent. There is no variation in his delight in receiving sinners who call on his name. So God doesn't change. God is faithful to his promise when he says, if you turn from your sin, you will be saved. If the churches of our land turned from their sin, from our sins, and called on God, then he would bless. God is faithful to his character, to his promises. Two words as I'm winding down. The people of Nineveh repented. Verse 10 God saw their works that they turned, that's the word repent. They turned from their evil way. And God different word, but the same kind of meaning, and God turned from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. The Ninevites turned and God turned away from bringing disaster. Now, the word for God turning is different to the word for the Ninevites turning. The word for God turning can be translated as God was moved to pity the Ninevites. Isn't that wonderful? God was moved with compassion towards the Ninevites. In other words, God's relenting here is not God just changing his mind. It's God being touched by what he saw in the people of Nineveh. And my friends, isn't that in the end, when we're thinking of faith as The vital mark of repentance isn't that what evangelical repentance is all about it's seeing the mercy of god toward us that causes us to repent you know zechariah uh, he puts it well i quoted it last time zechariah chapter 12 they looked on him whom they had pierced and they wept that's looking to christ on the cross Uh, here is how one theologian puts it god takes upon himself the evil which was the wages of man's sin he suffers the very suffering which his justice he should have laid on man god causes the judgments to fall on himself This is the meaning of his repenting. Why did God relent from punishing the Ninevites? They still deserved his righteous anger. The answer is wonderful. It's because the greater than Jonah would one day come and hang on that cross and take the punishment that the Ninevites deserved upon himself. Why are we saved? It's not because of anything in us. It's because of that same event 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung on that cross. Your sin and mine was laid on him and we are no longer under condemnation. Praise God. The God of Jonah, the God who forgave Nineveh has forgiven you and me all on the basis of Jesus Christ dying. Isn't that evangelical repentance? Uh, when I was a boy, I was um, forced to learn uh the piano. I don't know if there are any pianists here. And the teacher I had, if I made a mistake, she would use her pencil and hit me on my knuckles. It put me off learning the piano for life. Later on much older I saw somebody on television in a concert playing guitar and I thought that's amazing I want to be able to learn how to play can you see the difference I'm never going to learn the piano now I've been wounded for life I was beaten as it were uh, to try and play better And some people think of repentance in that way. That's legal repentance. That's the law beating us. That doesn't produce repentance. Now, don't misunderstand me. Sometimes God uses his law to drive us to Christ. But in the end, it's the sight of the cross, isn't it? And of what our sin caused Jesus Christ. That causes that humbling and breaking and sorrowing and turning. Listen to this. Behold him. Not somebody in a concert now playing guitar, but behold him, the greater than Jonah, he that pass him by, the bleeding prince of life and peace. Come, sinners. Are you a sinner tonight? Maybe you're not a Christian and you think that something needs to happen to you before you come to Christ. No! Come, sinners, and say, was ever grief like his. Come, feel with me his blood applied. My Lord, my love is crucified. He's crucified for me, for you, to bring us rebels back to God. Believe. Believe the record true. He now aborts with Jesus' blood. Pardon for sin flows from his side. My Lord, my love is crucified. A great revival in Nineveh. God didn't send Jonah there as a revivalist preacher. He sent him there to preach the gospel. There's nothing wrong with having conferences on revival. It's a good way to get the spiritual desires going. But read of any revival, whether it's in the New Testament or subsequently in church history, it's Christ and him crucified that have been the theme of the sermons. And the Holy Spirit loves to ignite, if I can put it like that, such material may this church be what it says we are on the notice outside evangelical may the evangel the good news be our message and may the spirit use that not just from the pulpit but in all of our meetings may the spirit use us may we be his channels so that evangelical repentance is seen in us and in this city. Oh, would it be awesome if this city would become the city of God? God can do it. May we continue to cry to Him, and may we be a people who are always repenting for his name's sake.